Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. We are going to sort of take a little bit of a segue from our series that we've been on. Um, a lot of times I try to start something off that's a little lighthearted to kind of get our thoughts focused together. And I usually try to do something, maybe it's a little humorous. Sometimes you guys don't see the applause sign when it comes on and, or the laughter sign. And you don't laugh with me. I think it's your problem, not mine. But anyway, uh, I want to talk about something, honestly, that's a little more serious today. Uh, I don't know if you saw our local news or saw on Facebook. Um, a middle school student in Wendell um, took his own life this week. And I'd like to say that that kind of thing is, is uncommon, but it's not. And so I had my message pretty well prepared and I was just wrestling all week after the news of that came out and I just kept thinking, I feel like there's something else that I need to say. And uh, late in the week, I decided to sort of shift gears and share a message um, that I'm sort of derived from a message I've preached before dealing with the ideas of depression and discouragement. Um, over the past two years, two and a half years, whatever it's been now since we've started experiencing COVID and the lockdowns and all the different things that happened with and after COVID, I'm telling you, it's just become much more a common thing. And one good thing I hope and pray is that people are talking about mental health and they're talking about the way that they feel. And unfortunately, though, a lot of people still aren't willing to talk about it and get it out there in the open. But I want us to take a few moments today and look at God's word and see what God's word says. And I'm telling you, if you've ever been discouraged, and, and I do want you to do this with me, I want you to raise your hand for a second. And I want you to keep your hand in the air and I want you to take a breath, breathe out. All right. If you did that, if you're breathing right now, you can put your hands down. If you're breathing right now, you've been through discouragement, right? You've been discouraged. Somebody has said something that has really hurt you. You've been through situations and circumstances in your life that have really got you beaten down. And then a lot of people, probably more than even recognize or even more than care to admit, have dealt with depression. When discouragement goes and it goes and it grows and it sort of piles up on you, we can get to the point of depression and a feeling of hopelessness. And it is a rough place. And uh, just a couple of years ago when I shared this message, uh, at least the, the, the same basic message, I, I just told everyone and I'll say it again that I've dealt with depression before. I never thought that it would be me. Um, I went through counseling classes when I was in college, going, training for ministry. I, I'm not a licensed counselor, but I've done a lot of counseling since then after getting trained by it and for it. Um, and I'm telling you, I would tell anybody and everybody that came, it's like, you know, if their, their struggles were more than I could help them through, where they needed some continual counseling, I was always quick to encourage people to go and talk to a Christian counselor. But guess who I did not encourage to go and talk to a Christian counselor? Me. 
Because even though I knew it was a good thing for everybody else, for me, I really struggled with it. And I was like, you know, there was all sorts of things going through my mind. Number one, I'm tough and I don't need it. You know, number two, what are people going to think if the preacher needs counseling? You know, I mean, but you guys know me that have known me here at Movement. You know I got issues. So that's no big surprise to you, right? Yeah, you can laugh at that. It's true. But there's, and then there was other, other reasons, just a myriad of reasons why I thought, hey, other people need counseling, but not me. You know, maybe it was the whole man card. You know, I feel like maybe it wouldn't be manly to go and, and tell my problems because guys aren't supposed to talk about their problems, supposedly. But one of the things that I came to realize when I was at a really, really tough place just a couple of years ago was that I had to talk to someone. And as much as my wife and I have a really strong relationship, now don't get me wrong, we've got our ups and downs, but we have a really strong relationship and we had a policy to just try to share everything. There was sometimes that I needed to take that burden of what was going on in here and in here off of her a little bit, not keep secrets, but take some of that burden off of her and then let somebody who was trained and somebody who was outside the situation, a counselor that could carry that burden with me and show me how to carry it better so I could lighten her load. And, and I'm telling you this, uh, I'm sorry this is heavy stuff, but man, I was just so convicted after seeing, seeing that happen this week. There's too many people that are hurting, that are calling out, and a lot of times they don't open their mouth and call out, but they're just screaming in their own mind, I need help. And I wanna encourage us to realize a few things, but first off, we're not alone. So my hope today is to encourage you, if you're dealing with deep discouragement, and maybe even getting into depression, or hopelessness feelings, that you realize that you're not alone in this. You're not alone, okay? Some of you who are in that place right now, whether you're online or in here in person, you heard that and you said, yeah, everybody else has somebody that understands, but I don't. You are not alone. I, I don't care who you are, you are not alone. There is somebody or probably multiple people that want to hear what's going on in your life, so you need to tell them. But I want to tell people, I want to encourage you if you're struggling, that you can get help. And I want to tell all of those who may not be in that spot, maybe you've been there, you've done that, or you haven't been there yet, but you're not in that spot now, I want you to know that there is something that each of us can do for them. We can be a listening ear, we can be a shoulder to lean on, and then we can love people through their difficult times. And one of the most eye-opening things for me is when you look at God's Word, you actually see that there is people dealing with depression in the Bible. Now, if you've never read the Bible a whole lot, that might come as a shock. Or if you've never really stopped and paused and tried to translate it into 2022 language, you know, as you're reading the different accounts of Scripture, you might have just missed it, that people dealt with depression even in the Scripture and I want to take a look and see how they dealt with it when they went through it. And believe it or not, we're going to start with, guess who? Jesus. We're going to start with Jesus. Now, for some of us, that might seem blasphemous to say that Jesus may have dealt with deep, deep discouragement or maybe even depression. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a counselor. I don't know exactly. But from what I read in Scripture, and we're going to look at a text, I think we'll see that Jesus was definitely dealing with some things that you and I just can't even fathom. And we're gonna look actually in the Gospel of Mark for this first part, Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 32. 
This is the account of when Jesus is about to be arrested. He had had the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper that he instituted there with his disciples. And it had been a good night, but then everything starts to change because he knows what's coming. And it says in, in verse 32 in chapter 14 of Mark, it says, They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. He tells his disciples. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. It's so incredibly easy to just gloss over and glaze over the words we read in scripture. But you've got Jesus, who's got his 12 closest friends, and then uh, the closer inner circle of three more of those 12, that he pulls off to another distance and says, look guys, I am really, really struggling. What, what's the language that he uses in this translation? My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Do you think that this was just another day in the office for Jesus? Yes, he was fully God, but he was also what? Fully man. And he was carrying the burden. He was carrying the weight of what he was about to do to go to the cross. And guys, as much as we know it, as much as we hear it, I want to say it again so it gets through our brains, is that he was carrying the weight and the guilt and the fear of death for sins that he did not commit. He came to earth to pay for sins that were not his own. He came to experience pain that he never had to experience. He took on the, the form of a person, a human being, and he was dealing with this stuff. And he tells his friends like, look, can't you just sit with me for a little bit and pray? I need you right now. Verse 35. He went on a little farther and he calmly took a seat. It's not what he did, is it? What does it say? He fell on the ground. He collapsed under the weight of everything he was dealing with. He was going through this immense pain in his heart, in his spirit. He said to the point of death. It says he prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Verse 36, Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned and found the disciples asleep. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watching, pray, so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. I'm telling you what, it's a good thing that I was not doing the part of Jesus, you know, with just my normal self and attitude, because I'd have been kicking them dudes on the ground when they were asleep. I, I'm serious. I would have been so angry. And he's frustrated. He's hurt. He's carrying this burden, and he, he realizes it's the burden that I can only carry. And that's the difference between Jesus and us. He carried a burden that nobody else could carry. But I want to remind you yet again, even though Jesus could only carry that burden, you were not alone. 
Jesus had a burden that only he could carry. But the burden that you're carrying, there are people that want to carry it alongside you. And the beauty of it is, is that burden that you're carrying, guess who carried it first? And if you start to wrap your mind around it, guess who carried it last? Jesus. You see, Jesus went to the cross for your pain and your heartache and your depression, your discouragement, your hopelessness. He took it to the cross, but unfortunately we try to take it back. But he comes and he finds them sleeping and he's frustrated. And he says that the spirit is willing, you know, they want to, but their flesh is weak. They just keep falling asleep. And so his best friends wouldn't even stay awake with him to pray with him. He felt utterly alone and rejected. Look at verse 39. And Jesus left them again, and he prayed the same prayer as before. He prayed, God, if there's any way, Father, take this away from me, please, but not my will, but yours. He returned to them again in verse 40. He found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open, and they didn't know what to say. He knew his death was imminent. He knew that his death was right there around the corner. He was hoping for another way, but he knew what was coming. Look at verse 41. When he returned to them the third time, he said, go ahead and ha sleep, have your rest. But no, the time has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around what Jesus was going through because, you know, when we worry, a lot of times, not, not all the times, but a lot of times when we worry, what do we worry about? We worry about things that will never happen. Isn't that what a lot of our worry is? Sometimes it can, it does, I'm not saying always, but many times when we worry, we worry about things that at least have not happened yet or possibly may never happen at all. And we carry this huge anxiety weighing on us. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. And at this darkest, deepest moment of his life, when he felt alone, he still then had to wrestle with what truth. The person who was going to betray him was who? One of his closest friends. You ever been let down by a friend? You ever been betrayed? Jesus knew this at the deepest level. And so he knows what's about to happen. And he goes on. One of his closest friends is about to betray him. He'd be abandoned in just a few moments by how many of his friends? All of them. All of them were going to scatter. All of them were going to run. And Jesus, at this moment in his time, he was lacking community. He was lacking companionship. He was thirsting for it. He was aching for it. He was hungering for it. It says that he was to the point of death for it. He wanted somebody to be there with him. But what made the difference for Jesus? You know, what made the difference for Jesus? I think it's this. I think Jesus knew, he knew that the father's will and his plan were perfect. And that's the lesson that you and I need to draw from this. When we're going through our difficulties, when we're going through our discouragement, when we're going through our depression, we need to remind ourselves that God's plan and his will is perfect. But what's the enemy going to be saying to you? What's the enemy going to be saying? He's going to be saying, God doesn't have your best intentions for you. He does not want what's best for you. He, is, he wants to set you up. Nobody cares. Nobody wants to hear. Nobody thinks anything about what you're doing. They're not even thinking about you. I mean, all these lies are going through our heads, right? 
They're going through our heads, but we need to remind ourselves that God has been faithful over and over and over and that his will and his plan are perfect. And so because of that, Jesus understood that he could have hope when everything else seemed bleak. In the Old Testament, in Hebrew, there are two words that are often translated hope. One is roughly transliterated yahal, which means to wait. So hope, you, you wait in hope. The other is kava, and it's related to the Hebrew word for a cord, and it implies tension. You know, when you stretch a cord and you stretch it to its limit, you know, maybe a piece of rope and it's just stretched. Maybe you've got it tied around a tree and you're trying to pull a, a tree up with a big truck and you've got one end on the bumper and one end on the tree and it's just stretched. I mean, that, that's a good definition, a picture of hope, right? Sometimes it feels like it's about to break, doesn't it? And it feels like that there, you're just waiting and nothing's ever going to happen and you're in that moment. And so Jesus undoubtedly was waiting in the tension. He knew what God was going to do, but he knew God's purpose was going to win, but he was carrying this burden. He knew that his death was the price for our lives. And so he knew that God's plan was going to work. And it reminds us of Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It says this, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. When you're following after God's purpose, his plan, his will, it works, it works. Now we, we try to take it our own way and we try to go outside of God's will. And yes, those things are gonna fail. But when we try to be in God's will as much as possible, his plan and his purpose is going to work. We've gotta trust that God is working in the difficulties and in the silence. We got to remind ourselves that God is God and we are not. We say that a lot here. God is God and I'm not. And we need to remind ourselves, God is God and I am not. Will you say that with me? God is God and I am not. We don't know everything. We don't see everything. We don't understand, but he is perfect. Remind yourself. Remind yourself. That God has been batting a thousand in being faithful. People, yeah, we let each other down, don't we? I'm going to let you down. You're going to let me down. Moms, dads, kids, families, husbands, wives, friends, we're going to let each other down. But God has been 100% faithful every time. And he will be faithful even though it may seem bleak. So like Jesus did, you and I need to focus on the will of God and his wisdom. You see that? Focus on the will of God and his wisdom. Say, God, I don't know what's going on. I feel hopeless. I feel alone. I feel like this is a burden that nobody wants to know about, nobody cares about, and nobody else can carry. I'm by myself, but God, I'm going to focus on the will of God and your wisdom. His plan is perfect. And in this world, it may be chaos. But he holds this whole world in his hands and he brings beauty out of ashes. Next, I want to look at another very famous person in scripture, the Apostle Paul. He's the author of much of the New Testament. Um, it's impossible to think that he could struggle with discouragement and depression, right? Because, I mean, you know, he was being such a faithful believer and had such faith that he had to be living his best life, right? 
he had to have a jet and a mansion, right? Because God's favor is on those who do what he says. And he was always doing what God said. So he had to have this perfect life, right? I don't know if y'all can see, but my tongue is in my cheek. I'm being sarcastic. It's funny in this modern world, we associate with really good, easy things with being faithful to God. And a lot of times you see in scripture that the more faithful you were to God, the more difficult this life could be. And we have to remind ourselves that this world is not our home. And if we like it too much here, we're not going to want to be with God for eternity. So the apostle Paul very much dealt with this. He dealt with discouragement. He dealt with depression. We, we know about his thorn in the flesh. And we're going to touch on that in just a second. He was no stranger to battles with discouragement. You see in second Corinthians chapter one, verse eight, this is what he writes. We do not want you to be uninformed brothers and sisters about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure. Listen to this far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Can I tell you something that might make people frustrated at me? I do it all the time, so I guess I'm used to it. So. <laughs> a lot of people say, and they mean well, and I, I know I've said it at times in my life. They say that God doesn't give you more than you can handle. <clears throat> False. That's all based on the scripture that talks about that, that there's no temptation that comes on you that you can't bear. That God always provides a way out. I believe we actually referenced it last week. And people take that and they say that situations that come into your life that, you know, that horrible things happen in this world. This world's full of sin. This world's full of death and pain. And people say, well, God won't give us more than we can bear. He absolutely will allow it, unfortunately. But he will give you the strength from within. He'll give you, he will carry the burdens that you can't carry. You might, there's a lot of things in this life that you and I cannot carry, but that's why he says, give them to me. He says, take, cast your burdens off on me. Take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And we've got to wrap our minds around that. We're going to keep getting frustrated with God. If we keep believing that God won't give us more than we can handle. Because I tell you what, I can be a wuss sometimes. There's a lot of things I can't handle. That's my wife, you know, <laughs> but there are so many things that we can't handle. All right, back on track. All right, you can stop distracting me, guys, okay? But he says, far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired, even of life itself. He says, more than we could endure, we had on it. We were despairing of our life. He shares something was troubling, and he talks about later on in Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Whatever this was, it was bad. It's described as a messenger of Satan. So this great man of faith prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed that this would be removed. And here's what it says in verse 7. And this is part way through a sentence of so forgive me, but it says, or because of these surpassingly great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness is what God's answer to him was. Now, it seems really holy and righteous to read that, and you can say, amen, amen, but when it's the thorn in your flesh, and God says, nope, my grace is sufficient, it's hard to be all pious and holy, isn't it? I I'm just being honest. It it's hard to hear that, and Paul had to hear that, and it goes on, it says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that in Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, 
I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I don't believe beyond a shadow of a doubt. I, I don't believe that it was easy for Paul to just say, oh, well, there you go. I'm just going to, I'm delighting in my weaknesses. I guarantee you it was a struggle. He was pleading for God to take this thing away from him. But God's answer was no, not right now. I am going to prove my power through your weakness. And so he had to tell himself over and over and over. And you might have to do that. You might have to repeat those truths over and over. God, my weakness, your power. My weakness, your power. And you need to talk to someone. That's why we have to talk with one another to remind each other that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. And I believe Paul learned this lesson. Focus on God's power, not your own. All right, it would be easy to just miss that and say, yeah, I know that. But how much of your troubles, how much of your heartache in life comes from you trying to do everything on your own power? I know most of mine does. God, I'm going to fix this. Kick back, relax. You know, you're good, God. You can take off. I got this. You know, I don't mouth that. I don't say that, but that's the way that I live my life many times. God, I'm going to handle this. It's not my power, but it's God's power that we got to focus on. And so when you're surrendered in your weakness and admit you need Jesus, you learn and you're able to use, be used in ways that you never imagined. There's an old saying that says, let him transform your mess into a message. Let him use your brokenness, your, your weakness to shine light on him through you. Let him transform your mess into a message. And, and I love the idea of like us being jars of clay, these, these vessels that are broken, that are cracked. And we think, man, we got to hide these cracks. But what we don't realize is that the light inside of us only shines through through the cracks, right? And so when we're broken, that's when we shine the most glory for God. So trust that he is able to use you in your weakness. And then we look one more person that we see in scripture, Elijah. Elijah just had one of the greatest spiritual victories that I can imagine versus the prophets of Baal and Asherah. 800 plus prophets of Baal and Asherah versus one prophet of the living God. And he whips them all. They challenge each other. I don't have time to tell the whole story, but go back and read it in 1 Kings 17, I believe. And he challenges them to a contest to show whose God is real. They put all, uh, sacrifices on the altar and he soaks his with water. I mean, gallons and gallons and gallons of water. And he lets them go first. They put their altar, their sacrifice on the altar. They dance around. They cut themselves even because their God isn't real. So he's not answering. Go imagine. You know, he's not real, so he doesn't answer. And then he takes his turn. He soaks it with water. He calls out to God a simple prayer and boom, fire falls from heaven, right? I mean, the greatest victory. And then they whip all those prophets' butts. And I mean, it's just like a day of victory. You know, he's got to be like, he's, yeah, you know, he's like the man. He's like so excited. But then, then one person. Now, I'm not going to lie. It's the queen, Jezebel. Je Jezebel finds out what happens. And she says, may it be done to me. If I don't end his life. 
May my life be ended if I don't end his life. And she threatens him and he gets terrified. I love to be big and bold and bad and say that I wouldn't be intimidated. But the queen, you know, at times when you have your greatest victories, do you realize that that's when you're probably the most vulnerable? Because you basically you're running off of adrenaline, whether it be sort of spiritual adrenaline or whatever. But when you're at your highest point, you're at the easiest to see and you're easiest an easier target. And people are going to take their shots. The enemy's going to take his shots. And so the enemy takes his shot and knocks Elijah off. And he gets discouraged to the point of death. Look at 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 3. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He ran another day farther. He came to a broom bush. He sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. He was afraid. He was exhausted. He was hopeless. He wanted to die. And God appears to him in verse 11. It says, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain. Now, we're skipping part of this for time's sake. But he goes out and he says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. He's not showing up in this powerful wind. He's not showing up in the earthquake. And in verse 12, after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? And when you've been discouraged, you've probably been asked that same question. It's like, you, you know better. Why are you down in these dumps? Why are you so discouraged? And in verse 14, he gives his answer. Probably sounds really similar to ours. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. The only one. And now they're trying to kill me too. Elijah had this great victory, but he felt utterly what? Say it for me. Helpless and alone. He felt helpless and hopeless and alone. He felt useless, abandoned. And if you're being honest and you're really thinking how you would be feeling, he probably felt betrayed by God. God, look what I just did. I stood up in front of thousands of people and proclaimed your name. And then you get a, a hit put out on me by the queen herself. God, couldn't you just let me enjoy it for about 30 minutes? I'm just echoing what I've prayed before. And I didn't even stand up as big as he did. And I didn't have a queen threatening me. But I've been there and I've done that. But here's what it says in verse 15. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahaloah. To succeed you as a prophet, Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I serve, I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. Now that's a lot. That's a lot of crazy names and a lot to remember, but here's what I want you to draw from that. Everybody with me? Everybody with me? He still had work for Elijah to do. 
Elijah was ready for his life to end. He felt like there was no hope. He felt like he could not go any lower. But God said, I still got more for you. And here's what I want you to hear. Everybody wake up. God is saying to you, especially if you're in that place right now, but if you're not in that place right now, I want you to take this, snatch it out of the air, store it in your brain. When you are at your low spot, I want you to hear God saying, I have more for you to do. There's still more to do. And guess what? You're not alone. You look around and you don't see anybody who's standing with you. But he said, I've got 7,000. 7,000 who haven't bowed their knee to Baal, and they're just waiting for you to come and help be their leader. <laughs> I mean, that, that part is added by me. That's a little paraphrase, but I think that's what he's saying. He's like, there's people who are on your side, 7,000 who have not bowed their knee and who have not kissed Baal, the false god. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. You need to be here to do the things that God has prepared for you. He loved you and cared for you so much that while you were at your worst, he said, I got something for him to do later to bring me glory. I got something for her to do later to bring me glory. That's what God is saying. And it's not just one, I believe. I believe it's many things. So you have to learn to focus on God's purpose for you. You have a purpose. Every single person has a purpose. When you're discouraged, you remember what God is calling you to and do it. So what do we do with these truths? What do we do with these truths? How do we make the first step? The first one is this, and it sounds a lot like we talk about this a lot, but one of the things I've learned is we know the answers, but we don't always put the answers into practice, do we? So the first one is this, connect with God. Especially when you're down, especially when you're discouraged, call out to God. See, we've been, a lot of us have believed the lie that God can't handle our frustration. God can't handle our pain. He knows it. He created you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He created your brain and all its amazing neural pathways. He knows your, your crazy thoughts. He knows your good thoughts. He knows your joys, your sorrows. He just wants you to tell him. So pour it out. Even if you're angry, pour it out. He can handle it. Now, he might put you in your place like he did. You know, Job says, stand up and address me like a man, big boy, big girl. <laughs> Sorry, I don't, you're not supposed to say that. But anyway, you know what I'm saying? Of crap. But what we need to understand is God can handle it. So connect with God. Read God's word. Worship. Sometimes, do you realize that the Psalms are actually just songs that were written and most of them were written in heartache? A lot of the worship of the people of God was, was songs of heartache. And then you connect with others. And this is going to be difficult because when you get down and discouraged, you don't want to be around anybody else. You don't want to be around anybody else, but you have to remind yourself that you are not alone and you might need to take the first step. Don't distance yourself further. Reach out for help and you'll be surprised how it reaches back, but reach out, connect with others. The third one is this, serve others, serve others. Take the focus off of yourself as hard as it is when you feel down, when you feel discouraged and you feel that nobody cares. All we do is look at ourselves. We get more depressed, more discouraged, and more feelings of alone. But instead, take your focus off of yourself and serve other people. And I'm telling you, your, your heart and your mind can start to change. It's not going to be overnight, but it can happen. And then lastly, remember. 
Remember that you were created on purpose for a purpose. God made you for a purpose. Okay, this isn't for everybody else. I feel like I have to say that a lot because when you're in the wrong place, you just hear, yeah, everybody else, God's got a purpose for, but not me. God has a purpose for you, for all of us, for those watching online. God has a purpose for us. We were made on purpose for a purpose, and that purpose is to bring glory to God and point people to him. Many years ago, around World War II, there was a Soviet dissident who was a Christian, and because of his stance against the Soviet government, he was thrown into one of their prison camps, their gulags. And his name was uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. You may have seen his name written, but he was a writer and author. He got the Nobel Prize for Literature later on. And he was in a Soviet prison in Siberia. And he became so weak and discouraged after going through the torment and the torture and the starvation, he just wished that he could die. And he was about to the point where he realized that if you stop working, the guards would come and they would kill you. And so he just made up his mind, I'm gonna stop working and I'm gonna let them come kill me because I'm ready to die. And one of the other prisoners who was also a Christian noticed what was going on with him and noticed he was about to quit. And so he, with what strength he had, that other prisoner in the ground put a cross in the dirt right where Alexander could see it. That small act of hope, that small act of love, that symbol of the cross, just a simple cross in the dirt, simple cross in the dirt, gave him the hope to carry on. And he said, God's not done with me yet. And he ended up being freed. He ended up writing many powerful works. And he pointed to the horrors of what the Soviet Union had done and was doing to people. And so what I'm trying to tell you is this. Reach out. Look for just one small thing. But other people, if you're not in the pit, if you're not discouraged, all it takes sometimes is one small act to help somebody come out of the darkness. You don't have to change the world. You just got to be there. You just got to be present. Just love people as well as you can, and God will show up. So I just want to close with this. Your presence matters. If you're discouraged and down and you think nobody cares about you, nobody would miss you, that's a lie straight from the pit of hell. Your presence matters here on this earth. But if you're on the opposite side and you're not discouraged, I want you to know that your presence matters. Your simple cross in the dirt could save somebody's life. And that cross in the dirt might just be a shoulder to lean on and a pat on the shoulder. It might be a simple prayer. It might be a how are you doing text. I don't know what it is, but your presence matters on both sides of the court. In just a moment, we're going to go through our communion time. And I'm just going to be over here to the side. And if you are needing just somebody to just lean on and put their arm around you, I want to be that person. I can't. Because I've had people do it for me. And we're going to spend this time in communion. After I pray, we're going to spend our communion. Stephen's going to lead us through it. And I want you to just focus on who Jesus is and who he's made you to be. And the fact that he has a purpose for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we don't deserve any hope that are hurting and for those that are going to be hurting one day, God, I pray that they would fix their eyes on you and they would realize that they have a purpose because they are a beautiful creation made by you. 
They were made on purpose for a purpose. And help us to relish in that truth. And help us to reach out. Christian Church's Sermon Podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement MC.